0: Hello and welcome, this is Sarah Ann Minken with the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I am here with Yara Hawari and Nadia Hijab from Al Shabaka, the Palestinian Policy Network. Nadia is the co-founder and board chair. Yara is the senior policy fellow and the Foundation for Middle East Peace is very excited to spotlight this grantee that we respect and adore this month. Nadia and Yara, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: So let's start with you telling us a little bit about Al Shabaka. What what does the organization do? What is your mission?
2: Well, thanks for that question. Uh, It's a mission that uh, to to some extent has evolved from the the founding of the organization, but in, in most other respects has stayed the same. Basically, we want to influence policymaking and policymakers from a Palestinian perspective. And the aim really behind this is to promote our human rights. And we're talking about the full set of rights, self-determination, freedom, justice, and equality. Um, So that's really our goal. Now, as you know, the frame within which to decide the Palestinians' future has been narrowed to almost pinpoint proportions. Uh, Since the Oslo Accords began to be signed in 93, much of the Palestinian leadership has actually been party too much of that narrowing, bringing us to where we are today, a Palestinian population that's been squeezed into ever smaller spaces with fewer rights on both sides of the green line and a flat denial of the refugees' right to return. So so when we launched Ashabaka back in 2010, and this is our 10th year, we were very conscious of the spatial and territorial divides of the Palestinian people, which had created many viewpoints and approaches to the struggle for our rights amongst our own people. So from the start, we wanted to be a big tent for Palestinian views and perspectives. You can be a one-stater, you can be a two-stater, you can work for the Palestinian citizens of Israel and their rights, you can work on refugee rights, and you can be based anywhere in the world and be a member of a Shibaka so long as you uphold our core rights. And of course, your work needs to be articulated as policy analysis because that's what we do as a think tank. So in a sense, it was a way of transforming the weakness of our dispersal into a strength. We've grown from 60 members to nearly 200 now, and they are really proud of and really value this space.
0: Thank you, Nadia tell me a little bit more, why is this work important now? Why is it so meaningful at this moment?
1: So I, I think um, even though we've come a really long way in terms, of, uh, in terms of the Palestinian narrative, I really think that Palestinian voices continue to be marginalised from um, mainstream media and politics non-Palestinian voices are commonly privileged and listened to far more than, than Palestinian voices vis-a-vis Palestine. Uh, so, in that sense, Ashabaka is really, in the words of Edward Said, is, is seizing permission to narrate within the understanding that knowledge production is still very much dominated by structures of oppression. Um, and similarly, as a, as, a, as a virtual think tank, one that tries to incorporate Palestinian voices um, across our scattered geographies. We're really trying to put forward this dynamic uh, and diverse set of Palestinian voices that are not often heard um, outside of um, official discourse. And I think this is why our work is really important and meaningful. It seeks to push back against the epistemic structures of Eurasia, And also really to rebuild our people's confidence, you know, to have an institution of our own, one that is politically plural, as my colleague Nadia mentioned, and diverse, um, and one that promotes Palestinian voices first and foremost and provides them with a platform in both English and Arabic. I think that's a very uh, important, incredibly important endeavor. And I think we're actually doing it very well, despite all the odds stacked against us. Will you say a little
0: bit more, Yara, about what it means to do the work well?
1: As Nadia mentioned, we are a think tank um, that is virtual. And one of the reasons for that is because we are um, very much a scattered uh, and dispersed people because of um, of, uh, uh, the Israeli colonial regime, which has exiled... Um, more than half of the Palestinian population. And so we have attempted to use that as our strength to look at all these Palestinians who are experts in different fields, who have uh, professional experience in so many different fields, and really uh, provide a home uh, for these people under the umbrella of a shabaka and and to show to the world that there are Palestinian expertise voices. Palestinians are, highly edu- are a highly educated population. Um, uh, and that knowledge is there and those voices are there. And, and we are the home that you can come to if you need those voices. And it's, it's not only about waiting for those people to come to us. We also are active agents in that. You know, We, we push uh, and encourage our members to be in these spaces. Um, and I think Keshabaka is, is a really great platform for that. Thank you, thank you.
0: Nadia, will you tell us a little bit more about about whom you serve, about your audience?
2: You know, that's a great question because when we first started, we thought our audience was policymakers. But then, as we went on, we realized that, in fact, our primary audience is the Palestinian people themselves, because we have become so dispersed and, and not, not confused about our basic rights, but confused about our strategies, divided about you know, uh, which way to go, and so on, while for the main part being very, very clear on what our basic rights are. So, That's that's our primary audience really is the Palestinian people themselves to put our ideas out there in a way that can broaden our horizons and point to ways in which we can achieve our goals. Now our secondary audience, and we have more than one audience obviously, (laughs) um, but our secondary important audience is global civil society. it's it's really key in shaping and reshaping the belief in what's right and what's possible uh, to to do and in translating it into the consciousness of policymakers, particularly in the US. So we we actually have a policy fellow in each of the US and Palestine, engaging with Palestinian civil society and with with US and other global civil society. And as we grow, we would hope to have uh, fellows in Europe and the Arab region and the rest of the world, where we're actually quite a small organization. Now, a third audience, uh, or rather, two more audiences, pretty much at the same level, um, uh, are the media. We're very focused on the media because it is key to reaching policymakers. And we're, of course, all, also focused on policymakers themselves. We're different from other think tanks in which in, in, the, in the sense that our um, Uh, goal in terms of reshaping policy is not clear. We can't focus on the Palestinian policymaker like Brookings or whatever would focus on the U.S. government when when it's a a normal U.S. government. Um, But uh, so we have to reach as as broadly as we can to influence these other audiences. So um, the media and policymakers, primarily in in the us and in europe but obviously also in in our in our own uh, space and uh, in palestine itself and, and in, in the region um so given that we're such a small organization our vision is, is pretty ambitious but our work and name are definitely out there and and uh, you know uh, our reach is, is really growing very rapidly i just want to yeah so Something. I just want to say, if, if I may continue, please, please. that um, we have uh, uh, our, our, our members are spread uh, in many different organizations, as we both said, Diara and myself, and, and we kind of rely on them to reach out to um, the diaspora uh, uh, the Palestinian diaspora, and they are pretty active. About half our members, as I think I've said, are in the Arab world, half are in the rest of the world, with many in Europe and, and the US. And they do a lot of outreach on Ashabaka, for Ashabaka, and uh, they, they're, getting, they're getting us known amongst Palestinians who are not necessarily um, policy analysts, obviously, uh, who are the kind of Palestinians that we want to read and make use of our materials. Great. That's great, thank you. So,
0: Yara, tell us a little bit about what, what in particular is newsworthy now? What are the, the pressing ideas or policies or strategies that you are working on or debating
1: now? That's a, that's a big question, and it really depends who you ask in, in terms of what's, what's newsworthy. Um, this year, of course, there's been a lot of hype around sort of, I, I would say, two main um, issues in terms of uh, um sort of foreign policy the uh, the trump plan of course and then annexation um and then COVID 19 of course is the sort of um overarching thing that, that no one seems to be able to stop talking about um, but i think in terms of palestinian um talking points um an important point these are the both the trump plan and annexation and this is something that many palestinians agree upon is that this is not something new Um, And actually, the Trump plan is is seen by a lot of Palestinian analysts as a culmination of U.S. policy over the many decades. And I think that was something that was quite hard for a lot of liberals, especially in the U.S., to hear, because they saw the Trump plan as this sort of really crude, uh, crass uh, affront to sort of, Uh, international relations, international security, when actually when you look down the nitty-gritty you see that this is really a mishmash of uh, proposals that have been put forward by many US administrations and um, uh, Israeli governments. So I think that was quite, you know, uh, a harsh awakening for a lot of people but not for the Palestinians themselves because they they have uh, seen this time and time again. Uh, and and uh, with regards to annexation, it's very very similar in that you know, annexation is is also not particularly something new. Annexation is you know quite simply the theft of Palestinian land in, in legalised term. And the debate really was around de facto versus de jure. Um, so uh, I think uh, it, the, these were the, the the sort of main talking points. This year, and I think um, um, I think there is an interesting thing that's quite that's been happening, uh, and that's a shift in the debate um, in certain arenas, and in certain arenas that we might not have expected uh, that shift before. Um, there are certain members, for example, in the U.S. Democratic Party that are talking about Palestine in a very different way. Um, as something that is uh, unprecedented as an unprecedented and something that we um, haven 't heard before, and I think the sort of the the reigniting of um, social movements across the world uh black lives matter in particular um, uh, has sort of Reignited all these connections and solidarities that 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 once existed um, um, and that a lot of us had forgotten existed and so I think there's a lot of these conversations and a renewed lexicon that is more radical dare I say that is more uh, focused uh, uh, Around uh, questions of justice uh, questions of decolonization and I think these are all important discussions and I think um, that they are discussions uh, that should be had in these mainstream political spaces. I know, you know, from my experience, my work with uh, policymakers and diplomats here, a lot of them shy away from these terms. And I think, and I see it very much as, you know, part of our role as Palestinian analysts is to, to reinsert these terms and, and, an, and reinsert an indigenous Palestinian lexicon into these spaces to really push back against the sort of enforced, NGOization of our language that no, actually, um, this isn't radical. These are actually very fundamental principles of of, of rights and very fundamental uh, values that are held worldwide. Thank you. Thank you.
0: So one last question. Are there any last thoughts or ideas you want an American
2: audience to know? Yes, there are. So (laughs) let me jump in, if that's okay, building on some of what Yara uh, said before. i lived in the U.S. for nearly 20 years uh, before now, uh, moving uh, to Europe and living in Europe. And I I believe as Americans, and especially American Jews, are, are a key audience from a Palestinian perspective. This is is really because the US is such a vast country, and in some respects, their freedoms are much better codified than, say, in in Britain, uh, particularly freedom of speech. Uh, So it's much harder to crush support for Palestinian rights in the US than it is in Europe, where Israel has really succeeded in shrinking the space uh, to defend Palestinian rights, although there is pushback. Uh, It's harder in the US. But they're they're working, Israeli supporters are working very hard to do it at the federal and the the state and the local levels. And as AFMAP president and uh, my good friend Lara Friedman often reminds us, they are on the brink of perhaps succeeding and we need to be very uh, careful and very uh, uh, aware of that and, and be ready for that. But it is still much harder in the US than Europe. So I think um americans uh, especially given their role in what's happened uh, to to palestine and palestinians and what their government has done and the, the support the unthinking support that they've given or rather uh thinking but very poorly um uh, taken decisions support to give to israel uh, uh to, to enable it to crush palestinian rights have a special responsibility in this regard and also have more capacity and resources and a much stronger um uh, civil society that can can push this uh and um yeah so so that's what i would say uh, to the americans let's see if. The... thank you thank you for that challenge
1: yara any last words perhaps just a brief comment that um I would really urge uh, Americans to think about why they are not hearing certain Palestinian voices and why Palestinians are so absent from the mainstream media or uh, policy spaces and mainstream political spaces and that's not um, by complete chance and it's not because Palestinians lack the expertise or lack the knowledge in fact it's by design and a very conscious design at that to purposely exclude Palestinians from the discourse. And we've really seen that par excellence with the Trump administration. And that's something that Shabaka, along with many of our, you know, uh, partner organisations, this is something that we really try hard to fight back against, that not to prove ourselves to anyone, but to provide our own platforms so that we can, you know, not only influence uh, and hopefully change um, policy, but also for the record of history to show that we exist uh, and, and that we resist. And, and, and this, is, for us, is one of the ways that we resist through our writing and through our words.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, both of you. Thank you, Nadia. Thank you, Yara. Thank you for your work at Al Shabaka. I know that I speak on behalf of all of the Foundation for Middle East Peace when I say that we are so glad that we can work in support of your work, that we can Help to support you in doing what you do, and also give you a platform to try to bring 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 more people's eyes and ears to your work, to your to your writing and your um, and your articulations of Palestinian policies and ideas. And so, I want to say thank you to you, and thank you also to our listeners. And I want to encourage all of our listeners to go to the links on the FMF website where you found this podcast and go to the links and read about al-Shabaka and read al-Shabaka's work and go to the al-Shabaka website and please join the Foundation for Middle East Peace in supporting this very uh, worthy and important organization with a contribution with amplification of their voice and their words. Thank you so much.